Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. things before we jump in uh, to the sermon today. Um, just want to give you guys an update of what's going on in St. Jamestown. So St. Jamestown, our, our church, for those of you guys who aren't as familiar with our church, our church didn't start as a worship service, and we didn't start as a Bible study or anything like that. We started by living on mission in our city. Uh, we moved here four and a half years ago, and we identified a location in the city where we thought God was moving, and we said we want to join God's work there. So we, this was Regent Park, and we just started networking and uh, meeting people and working with organizations there, and we identified the organizations that were in there that were uh, ushering in the kingdom. Whether they knew it or not, they were ushering in, in the kingdom. And so we started doing stuff with them, for them, working with them, pushing forward uh, the kingdom of God, infusing the gospel into what they do, um, and sharing the love of Jesus along the way. Uh, that was four and a half years ago, or five-ish years ago, um, and then we moved to this, to this spot, we outgrew there, Regent Park changed a lot, and we moved here about two and a half years ago, um, and we put all of our efforts into St. Jamestown, which you can actually see the high-rises, some of the high-rises, out the window here, um, and St. Jamestown is is a, is a group of high-rises where it's um, immigrant-driven, it's pluralistic, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the poor areas in, in this corridor of downtown, um, and there's so much going on there, and we said, we want to we wanna put all the efforts into there. So, as a church who lives on mission, and that is how we started, so it's in our DNA. Like, this is, what you see here isn't our primary purpose. Like this isn't, yes, we're here to worship Jesus, we're here to lift his name up, but uh, we can do this all day, um, and our city is never going to come into here unless we actually live out our faith. And so that's why we started by living on mission. So when we moved to this area, we weren't focused on making this the best thing ever, we were focused on our mission in St. Jamestown. And a lot of that doesn't happen on Sunday morning. Well, none of that happens on Sunday morning. So you don't see a lot of that. You don't see a lot of the fruit of that. Seth is back there today. He leads their local engagement. And him and I have been working over the past year and a half of building relationships in St. Jamestown. Now, we don't see a lot of the fruit of that here because it takes, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's, it's hard work. It's it's long-term. It's not a short-term view to where we do an event and we hope everyone who is at that event comes to our worship service. That's not our metric for success. Um, but over the past year and a half, we've done a few events. We've painted some rooms. We've just served them. We've, we've been Jesus to them. We've given them resources and money and people and volunteers. And, um, and we've built up a lot of credibility with them because we're loving them like Jesus. And so recently, a few months ago, they asked us to be a part of what they call the Service Providers Network. 
which is probably, what is it, 25 organizations, maybe less, somewhere around there, um, that work in St. Jamestown and that do what we're doing. But we're the only faith-based organization in there. We're the only church, uh, more specifically. Um, and they've invited us into that. And that's more of, now we're moving from just giving resources and being volunteers to now we're creating solutions. And we're helping this community create solutions. And now we're having conversations. And now we're building relationships. And it all started by just doing some simple things over here, like I said. And now it's developed into something kingdom. Well, both are kingdom. But now it's like, wow, we're now actually building the community. Now this happened with us in Regent Park. So much so that the city of Toronto would give us money to do things in Regent Park. That's, for those of you guys who are from Toronto, like, that's unheard of. That does not happen in the city of Toronto, especially to a, to a Christian church. So like, that's what we're trying to do in St. Jamestown. Um, not to have the city give us money. <laughs> we're trying to, to see what we did in Regent Park through relationships and mission uh, duplicated in a new community. So that's been going on. Again, we don't see a lot of it here. But so when we do events, so at the end of August, we're partnering with the St. Jamestown Festival. And, you know, in, in Toronto, every neighborhood kind of has their festival. So this isn't our festival. We're, we're helping them put on the St. Jamestown Festival to highlight St. Jamestown. And we're going to infuse the gospel, show the love of Jesus wherever we can, and just make it better. Just try to improve it. We're not trying to make it worse. We're trying to improve it, right? And that's our testimony. That's, that's, a, that's how we gain credibility. That's how we have conversations. And so as we go through this series, um, we're, we're talking about evangelism. And evangelism, for many of you, has, has been just sharing your faith. And, and, so, and, and it's difficult for you. When you hear the word evangelism, a lot of you guys, if you've grown up in church, you may like shudder. You may be like, Ugh, I don't really like that word. I can't really evangelize at work. I can't, you know, my friends don't want me to evangelize them. Um, and what we're trying to do in this series is, is reshape evangelism for you, but also give you some tools for sharing your faith with your friends or at your workplace or in hostile environments. Um, and we've learned a lot from, from our efforts in St. Jamestown, but Regent Park, and just working in our city. And uh, so we've talked about, let's see, what do we do first? Is it on? It's on that one. I can't read it. I can't remember what we did first. Kingdom. <laughs> Kingdom, faith, God, and today we're talking about Bible. So you've learned a lot in talking to our city in those different ways. And today, hopefully, I'm going to give you more tools to talk to uh, our city, but more specifically about the Bible. So let's jump in. Um, actually, before I open my Bible, first, uh, this is something not a whole lot of people know about me. When I was growing up, one of my sole ambitions was to be a, someone fill in the blank, <laughs> firefighter, no, no, was, was to be, <laughs> but that would be a worthy ambition, uh, was to be an actor. I, I, yeah, from a young age, I wanted to be an actor. I don't know why. And like, I, I was in 
uh, I did school plays. My first one was Frosty the Snowman. I was one of the kids. Um, uh, like in kindergarten, I remember it. Um, I, did, uh, I did city plays. Um, I went to acting classes. I, um, I even did musical theater. Yeah, can you imagine me doing musical theater? Yeah. I got a laugh, a wow, and yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, I can't sing, so. And I can't, I don't know if you've ever noticed, um, but if people are clapping to a song and they start singing, I can't sing and clap at the same time. So I'll clap as the music's playing, but if I want to sing, I have to stop clapping. Or else, like, by the first clap, I'll be off. <laughs> Missy looks at me and she's like, why? Like, why? Don't even try. Um, people say you can learn stuff like that, but I don't think everybody can. So, like, I, I even did musical theater. I did, I went to a couple casting calls for, like, movies, commercials, TV shows, things like that. Um, I just wanted to be an actor. I loved, I loved all that. And here's, here's the thing about acting, and, uh, and you guys will, will recognize this. When you're watching a movie, and, and someone does a great performance, uh, that performance is great because it's believable, right? When you, when you see someone act and they make you believe that they're that person, it just totally mesmerizes us. It, it makes a story real, even though it's fake. Um, and it's really hard to do that. It's actually really difficult to take words off of a page that are seemingly lifeless, and for someone to bring them to life with tone, with facial expression, with uh, body language, with, uh, with um, inflection, you know, everything that goes into acting with the voice and the body, and uh, it's really difficult to do that. But the great actors, they take words off of a page and they bring them to life for us. And that's, that's, fictional mostly. It's, it's, it's a fictional story that they're bringing to life. Even, even so, like, just take a movie like Spider-Man. Um, we know it's fake. We know there isn't a guy who wears red and blue tights and swings around on a web that comes out of his wrist, right? But if you're watching Spider-Man and it looks fake, you complain. You're like, ah, that's not real. That, look, that looks totally fake. But you, you know it's fake. Like, you know that doesn't really happen. But you still get upset when something you know is fake looks not believable. It looks fake, right? And this is the world with us. We're on this stage for the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're on this stage for the world. And uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul says, we're God's masterpiece. Like, we're in this gallery for the world. And they're looking at us. And they know when it's fake. The world knows when you, when you try to live out words on a page and you don't actually believe these words. They can see it in you. But guess what? They also know when you live out words on a page and you bring them to life. They get enveloped in that story. They see transformation. And they know when you believe it's true and when it's truth. And here's the bottom line for today's sermon. It's that a godly way of life will attract others to the word of life. You see, um, when we talk about the Bible with people, 
a lot of times we go straight into apologetics mode. And apologetics has its value. So don't, don't hear me say it doesn't, because apologetics is, has, its, has its value. But a lot of times when we talk with people about the Bible, we, we go straight there and we say, the Bible has the most manuscripts of any ancient text. And there's thousands, and, and we get down, and, and we say, the Bible, uh, um, what else do we say in apologetics? <laughs> the Bible has, has this, and it, and it does that. And we can say all this cognitive knowledge about the Bible. Like, it was written by all these authors, and look at how, how um, it, it ties it together in, in one story. Or um, we can talk about how it was transmitted, and how there's, we have all of the Bible uh, over the centuries, forever. There's no theological aberration in the Bible, so we can talk about its inerrancy and, and how that transmission process was, was, um, was uh, perfect for, the, for transmitting the Bible through the generations. We can give all the cognition, but without transformation, it doesn't give people any value. Like I said, those things are, are valuable in some respects, but we're not trying to convince people that the Bible is, is pure or, or is, is the most well-preserved book. We're trying to convince people that the Bible is the real world. And telling people those, those, those things, the, that information isn't going to convince them that the words on that page are actually true for them. Does that make sense? Now, you can give them that stuff too, and you can give them that stuff later, and if you want to know that stuff, we can talk, and there's a ton of people in here that you can talk to about that stuff, um, but what we want to do is show people that it's done something in our lives, that this, this book is actually the word of life, and that's why I say a godly way of life is going to attract others to the word of life. Okay, and this is, this is what Paul talks about here. So let's, let's jump into the text. He says, uh, well, actually, first, so we started at verse 10, but let me read verses 1 through 5 for you first, uh, because Paul is setting up something here. And he says, and he's writing to Timothy, a young pastor uh, who's, who's pastoring uh, the church at Ephesus, and he's giving him some, some guidance. He says, but understand this, then in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. It's funny. I think it's kind of funny he puts that in there. Like, disobedient to their parents. We should bring my kids back in here so they can hear this. Like, girls in the last days. Um, so it's like, lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That's, that's, a, that's um, very powerful imagery. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he says to Timothy, avoid such people. And then, I mean, first of all, th that sounds familiar, right? That sounds like Toronto, right? That sounds like where we live. Um, it sounds like most people we know, um, it may sound like you this morning. Uh, and, 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 but Paul says, and he contrasts that with Timothy in verse 10. He says, you, however, 
have followed my teaching. And when he says followed there, he's saying that, Timothy, you have investigated me very closely. Do you guys realize that people are doing that to us? People are doing that to you. If, you, if people know that you go to church or they know that you read your Bible or they know that you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, they're investigating you very closely. They're watching you. They're looking at you. And he says this to Timothy, and he, he starts off with my teaching. But uh, notice here, he doesn't end there. So teaching is very important, but he says all this stuff, the truth, pairs with all this other stuff he's, he's going to mention. And it flows out of the teaching. It corroborates it. It complements it. It bolsters it. He says, so you have followed, you've investigated closely my teaching, my conduct, or my way of life, my aim in life, or my purpose, my faith. And when he's talking about his faith, he's not talking about like a general term for uh, his journey with Jesus. He's talking about his confidence in God, like the, the essence of faith, right? So his confidence in God. And then he lists three characteristics. My patience, my love, and my steadfastness. Um, a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago, I guess, Missy and I were, Missy's parents were in, I think, and we were in Toronto. We were in Toronto. <laughs> and uh, they came to visit us, and we went to the zoo. And it was summer, it was hot, it was uh, crowded. If you've been to the zoo during the summer, it's, it's just really packed. And uh, we're walking through the zoo, we're looking for a picnic spot, because you can bring your own food in there, I guess. Is that what we did? And looking for a picnic spot in the zoo, and I hear someone call my name. We've only been here for two and a half years, so there aren't a whole lot of people that we know in, out of the seven million in the GTA. But I hear someone call my name, and I look, and I don't see anybody I know. And this guy starts waving. And he's a guy in his 30s. He's got a family of like five kids. And... Uh, and he's, he starts waving me over, and I go over there, and, and he introduces himself, and, and uh, he says, well, how's the church plant going? And I have, like, I, and he's asking me all these questions, and I have no idea. Like, I've, I know I've never seen this guy before. I'm like, did you see me in Frosty the Snowman? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was kid number five. You, yeah, you saw one of my plays, right? <laughs> oh, and I was like, I had to stop him. I was like, okay, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Like, we haven't met, right? And, and he says, oh, no, 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 we haven't met. I just, I know you from, he's like, I've been following your journey. I've seen videos and I've seen pictures and flyers with your face on it. And like, <laughs> who's handing those out? <laughs> That's all we did the first couple years in Toronto. We just handed out flyers with my face on it. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. But he's not from here. He's from North Carolina, actually. And I've come to find out we went to the same seminary together at the same time, but we never knew each other. And so he'd seen me through the seminary and, and through everything, not through Toronto. And just is so random that we just happened to be in the same spot at the same time. And he just, so he's asked about the church plant and, and, and everything and... Um, they had just moved up here. He was pastoring a church in Georgetown. Is that a place? Yeah, Georgetown. <laughs> so 
somewhere north of Brampton. Is that where it is? Okay, cool. Um, and uh, he was just like, man, it's so awesome that you guys just moved your family. You didn't know anybody. You just came here and did all this. And, and it's just been really great following your journey. And I, my first thought was actually, oh, man, I hope he didn't see me yelling at my kids just like a minute ago because <laughs> he's going to think differently of me. But I was like, well, he has five kids. He's probably yelling all the time. <laughs> but what are you known for? If somebody was investigating your life closely, would you be known like Paul, like Paul says here? He says, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Would you be known for that? Would someone, like this guy that I met, he was observing my life from a distance and he knew me for what, for the things that we did. But he didn't, he didn't actually know me, but he saw me from a distance and he said, oh man, it's, it's awesome you did this and, and did that. And it's been encouraged, it's been very encouraging. Uh, we moved to Canada, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if someone was investigating your life, would they say, man, your conduct is just like Jesus? And Paul's saying, hey, look at my conduct. It goes with what I've been teaching. Or would they say to you, man, you look nothing like Jesus. He says, my, my aim in life, my purpose, look at my purpose in life. Or would your purpose in life look just like anybody else's? Lover of money. You want to be successful at your job. You want to have a good family. You want to be comfortable you know, have things, whatever, whatever it is. Would your, would your aim in life look just like someone who doesn't follow Jesus? He says, my confidence in God, look at my confidence in God and walk with me as you see my confidence in, in God. Would someone be able to follow your faith that way? Your confidence in God? Is it strong enough for you to say, watch me as I follow God? My patience, love, steadfastness. Are those the characteristics that you'd be known for? or that you are known for? Or is it your anger, your ability to hold a grudge? Is it your discontentment? Would someone say those things about you? Or could you honestly say, look at my patience and my love and my steadfastness? You see, when people see a life like that, when Timothy saw that life, he wanted that. When people see a life that is totally different from what they have, they may not understand it, they may make fun of it at first, but they actually desire that. They want that because it's, it's tapping into how God has created them and how God's created them in their image. Now, this is what we normally, so those are all great things, right? But this is what stops a lot of us, a lot of you, a lot of the world from following Jesus because we all want those things like, yeah, it'd be great to have an aim in life and strong faith and and, and all those things. But Paul says this too in verse 11. He says, You followed my persecutions and my sufferings. That happened to me at Antioch. At Antioch, he was slandered. At Antioch, he was um, severely mistreated. At Antioch, they expelled him from that region. And he says, At Iconium, at Iconium, they uh, again severely mistreated him. Uh, as he's sharing the gospel. And then they, he, he discovered a plot for them. They were going to 
stone Paul with rocks, and they're going to try to kill him. And then he says, at Lystra, these are all like sister cities, and then he goes to Lystra, and they actually do stone him. They drag him out of the city, and they leave him for dead. And he says, I endured those persecutions, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. And in verse 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you guys know that was in the Bible? That all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I love how he qualifies it there because you can have a semblance of a godly life over here without Jesus. You can look religious. Um, But he says, no, those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus, it will not look religious. It will look totally different. He says, you will be persecuted. And persecution is incited by godly living. And Timothy, he was from Lystra. So if he didn't witness it firsthand, he at least heard firsthand accounts of Paul being stoned, drug out of the city, and left for dead. And he still wanted it. And he said, yes, I still want that. And Paul actually meets him when he returns. Paul goes back to that city later. So a couple chapters later, all this is in the book of Acts. A couple chapters later, Paul goes back to Lystra and is like, hey guys, he's like, I'm back. And, and that's when he meets Timothy. And Timothy and him start to, start to join and do ministry together. Uh, but he says here that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That makes me ask the question, if I'm not being persecuted, am I living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Has your faith, has following Jesus cost you anything? If it hasn't, I wonder if you're following Jesus. See, when I, when I read the Gospels and I see people come to Jesus and they say, I want to follow you, they always have to give something up. Now, let me be clear. Jesus, his salvation to us is free. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We don't actually have to work for it. It's free to all of us. It's, it's a free gift. But when Jesus says, follow me, it means you die to yourself. It means if you're following Jesus, you're, you're a living sacrifice now. It means that you're carrying your cross daily. And if you're carrying your cross, it means you can't carry something else. Your sin, your selfish desires, your um, uh, desire for success, or, your, or some of your, your selfish ambitions, things like that. If you're laying yourself down on the altar as a living sacrifices as a living sacrifice, it's, it's, it means you've left something behind. And when people come to Jesus and, and they say, I want to follow you, and he says, yes, you can follow me. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away. He's saying, that's entangling you. It has, it, it's, it's the sin in your heart that has held you back. 
And Jesus is trying to release us into our, our aim in life, our destiny, our purpose. And, and so when he says here that all who desire to live a God life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, you should ask yourself the question, has my faith cost me anything in my life? Have I given up anything for Jesus? Have I given Jesus my life, my all, my everything? And he contrasts it in verse 13 with a different kind of people. In verse 13 it says, those who live God's life will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not a good situation. He says already, it's, it's already bad and now it goes to worse. And he begins to change our perspective on those who would persecute us. You see, a lot of us, um, I mean, nobody really wants persecution, right? No one wants to suffer. Um, but we're almost promised suffering. Jesus says, if you're going to live for me, it's just, it's going to happen. It, and it's, you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the Beatitudes, Jesus starts off and he says, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Do you guys believe that? And he says here, and, and Paul's like changing our perspective on, on those who persecute us. He says, they're actually, yes, they're trying to deceive, but they're being deceived, guys. And you're the only light for them. You're the only hope they have to show them Jesus. And their situation is going from bad to worse. In Romans 8, Paul says this about us. Verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Believe that this morning. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here you go. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those are all past tense, guys. You are justified and called and glorified in Christ Jesus this morning. And so persecution... Like, that's nothing to us. We're already justified. We're already glorified. We don't care about this world. That's how it should be, right? We don't care about the money. That's why it's easy to give that up. Who knows if, if Jesus really wanted him to do that? He's just, he's just saying your heart is in your money. Maybe if the guy says yes, Jesus is like, yeah, okay, come on. Come follow me. See, there's so many things that are entangling our hearts. And, and Paul is saying uh, here that we are the only hope for those who would persecute us for the world. But as for you, he says in verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He's talking specifically to Timothy. Knowing from whom you've learned it, how from your childhood, and from his childhood he mentions his mom and his grandmother, uh, Lois and Eunice, earlier in the book, who have, given them, who have taught Timothy in his faith and brought him up. He says, you've learned that from childhood and you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And all scripture 
is breathed out by God. This is a very unique word in, it's actually the only time this word is used in the Bible, um, that, that the scripture is breathed out by God. And here's, here's the key, guys. Paul isn't trying to prove that the Bible and that scripture is breathed out by God. See, we try to, when we talk to our city, we try to prove it a lot of times. We feel like that burden of proof is on us. That we, we have to try to prove that this is God's word and that this, that, that this is breathed out by God. Paul's not doing that. He just makes a statement. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. He's not trying to prove it to Timothy or anybody else. Do you, do you know what else is breathed out by God in the Bible? Us. Genesis 2.7 says that when he created Adam, he breathed the breath of life in his soul. And now Paul is saying, all scripture is breathed out by God. God has given it life. God has, God has, yeah, he's, he's given, his, he's put his life in it. And earlier when, when Paul says continue in these things, this word literally means to dwell or to reside in or to abide in. And it reminds me of Colossians 3.16 that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when Paul uses that word, he's saying, let the word of Christ take residence in you. Let it live in you. Let it give you life. Let it breathe in you. Do you guys look at the scripture that way? Do you guys look at the Bible that way? When you open this, does it feel like it's giving you breath and it's giving you life and it's, it's waking you up? This is how Paul talks about it. It's, he says it's breathed out by God and it's profitable. I love that word. I actually love to use that word in like regular when I regularly talk. <laughs> and because what, he's, what Paul is getting at here, um, this, this word profitable, I mean, it makes you think of uh, making money, right? It, it, it means that it's beneficial, that it's good for us, that it yields gain, right? So he says that scripture is profitable, that it yields gain. That doesn't take from you, I feel like a lot of times when we go to the Bible, we think that it's going to take something from us. And so we, we hesitate reading it. Um, but the Bible never returns empty. The Bible always goes out and returns full. The, the Word of God always brings life. The Word of God um, always builds us up. The Word of God is breathed out by God and it's profitable for these things, these four things. For teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. righteousness. Remember, he's talking to Timothy here. Uh, that the man of God may be complete. And that word there is fit, or in, or in fit condition, uh, or fit shape. That he may be complete and equipped, have all the necessary tools for every good work. So how do we, how do we talk to our city about the Bible? How do, we, how do we talk to our city about the Bible when they think that the Bible is outdated, that it's irrelevant, that it has nothing to do with their life, that it's misogynistic, it's bigoted, it's 
discriminatory. Um, it's anti-Semitic. You know, this is how our city views the Bible. How do we talk to people about it? Well, we start by actually believing what it says by living a godly life and we take these four things. We take teaching, training in righteousness, reproof, correction, and we start living and believing those things out in our own lives. You see, a lot of times when we take the Bible to our city, we start to try to train, correct, rebuke, and teach our city about this when we haven't fully accepted those four things for ourselves. And they see us, and they, they say, well, you're talking about this sin in my life, but over here, you're doing this. You don't believe the Bible. Why should I believe the Bible? You don't live out the Bible. Why should I live it out? They see that it's just fake for you, so it becomes fake for them. They see that there's no transformation for you, so why would it transform them? And when he says here, teaching, think of instruction. Uh, he's talking about, about um, like, if you have instructions for something you're going to build. Like, this is what the Bible does for us. It gives us instruction. Let me read Psalm 19, a part of Psalm 19 for you. This is how the psalmist views the Lord's instruction. And ask this question for you. Do I, do I view the Bible this way? Do I view God's instruction this way? He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. If we actually believed the Bible was what the psalmist just said the Bible is, it would transform us. We would live differently, and people would be attracted to that. And he says, correction and reproof, if we actually took that for ourselves, and then those two go together. It's, it's the Bible shows you where you've gone wrong, and then it puts you on the right path. It's, it's like a gentle correction here. And then it trains us in the way to live, in righteousness. When I met Missy in university, she, uh, she wasn't a believer. And I walked into this big classroom, I saw her sitting there, and I said, I'm gonna talk to her. And there were like four or five people in the classroom, and I sat down right next to her. It's like someone sitting next to you in a movie theater. <laughs> You're like, dude, there's like 200 seats in here. Why pick that one? Or the one right in front of you, right? <laughs> You're like, why? Uh, so I sat, I sat next to her, introduced myself. Um, and there's a whole story here, but found out she wasn't a believer, and like we went out that night and yeah, found out and uh, I thought I'm going to get her saved. 
I'm going to share the gospel with her. I'm going to share the truth with her. She's never heard the truth. So all she needs to do is hear the truth, and she's going to respond to it. So I sat her down. This is like a week or two into us being in a relationship. I sat her down, and I said, you're a sinner. <laughs> she's like, what is, what is that? Like, you need Jesus. She's like, what is that? Uh, he died for you. So what? Do you want to get saved? You know what she said to me? No. What just happened? And I was like, they told me this would work. <laughs> they told me all I had to do was tell her the truth. And like, she would accept it. Right? That's how, that's how it's supposed to work, right? And for those of you who have grown up in church, that's how you've been taught. You're like, we lead with truth. And people are just going to accept it. That's not the truth. That's just not true. A godly way of life is going to show them the word of life. That's going to show them the truth. Now, yes, we have to speak and we have to share the truth. When we lead with that without a life that's lived like that, they don't want that, guys. Our world doesn't want that. Our city doesn't want that. And so, Missy eventually became a believer, despite all my valiant efforts. <laughs> but it's because she saw life lived by the gospel. And over those two months, and she would tell you this, She'd say, I'd never met anyone like Mike before. She grew up in the Bible Belt in the U.S. There's a mega church right around the corner from her neighborhood that she grew up in. A couple mega churches, actually. <laughs> and she's, she would tell you today, I never met anyone like that. She was 20 years old until that moment in my life. And there's something different. See, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I liked it. I just knew I wanted it. And so over two months, um, she, like I said, she became a believer. And I asked her this this week. Before she, before she was a believer, when I talked to her about the Bible, and when she read the Bible, and the first thing she did, the first, the first book she read in the Bible was John. This is before she was a believer. This is actually right before she was a believer. She went to the, the, the Gospel of John, and she started reading it. And she read the whole thing. She probably understood like 1% of it. She, said, like, she didn't understand it at all. Um, but she knew she wanted it. She knew it's, it, it had truth. She knew it, it um, had what she was missing, she would say. Like, it, I, w I was missing something, and it, and it filled what I was missing. And she knew there was power in it. And then when she became a believer, the first thing she did was she said, I want to know who God is. Do you guys want to know who God is? And guess what you have to do? You've got to read this book. First thing she did was she, just like a book, 
She didn't start in the New Testament. She didn't go to Matthew. She didn't go to, you know, she didn't start in this spot in the Bible. She said, well, it's a book, right? Some start in the beginning. She started reading Genesis. And she says, when she got through Genesis, Genesis, she's like, what just happened? (laughs) I don't understand (laughs) what's going on. But she kept on going. She read through the whole thing front to back and she would still today say I don't understand everything in there I would tell you today like I have a PhD in theology I don't understand everything in there guys but I know there's truth and there's power and God has breathed into this book and when he's breathed into you and he's breathed into this book and the spirit inside you goes with the word of Christ Life happens. It revives your soul. It brings you new life. It becomes sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. You desire it more than anything because you know you're, you're meeting God here. This is a guaranteed place of encounter with the God of the universe. And if you lived like that, in the world out there, people would want that. People want to meet God. If God is real, of course people want to meet Him. The book of Hebrews says that unless we live this way, unless we live a godly life, people will never see the Lord. Unless we have his holiness and we live that way, they will not see God, the writer of Hebrews says. Your biggest hindrance to sharing your faith is not that you don't have all the answers, because you're never going to have all the answers. It's not that you're worried about what people think about you, because you can't control that. It's that you're not living a godly life. So you don't have a godly way of life. If you just had a godly way of life, the scripture would just flow out of you. Your faith would just flow out of you. The spirit would just be all over you. When you walked in a room, people would say, man, there's something different about that guy. Why is that girl so joyous all the time? There's something different about her. But I, I want to know what that is. And that's a, that attracts people and lets you share the truth of the word with them. So if you're a believer in here this morning, a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you and exhort you this morning to know God, to read this, to read the entire book. If you don't, you only know a piece of God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I hope that you have someone in your life where you see the truth of this book, the truth of Jesus in our lives lived out that you're attracted to this. You're attracted to this faith. And Jesus offers that to us this morning. He offers us instruction and training and righteousness and reproof and correction. He offers us the way to Him. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word made flesh.
the book I hold in my hand is your word revealed to us. It tells us about you. But it's not the only thing that does that. Jesus was made flesh for us. We have the spirit of the living God in us if we're following you, Jesus. And so just train us in righteousness. Use your word to reprove and correct us and teach us and instruct us so that our conduct, our aim in life, our faith, our teaching, our patience, love, steadfastness would ring out in this city for your glory. We just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.